Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Produce North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Hatton in Jerusalem. And welcome back to our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. Last time we read the incredibly dramatic chapter 28, in which Shaul, a desperate man, sought the guidance of the witch of Endor, unable to access God through the prophets, through dreams, or through the Urim. Shaul turned to the witch of Endor to raise the spirit of Shemuel from the dead so that Shemuel could indicate to Shaul how to proceed. We noted the tragedy of the moment as Shaul finally is ready to turn to Shemuel for guidance, unfortunately, after it is already too late. We considered the commentaries and their disagreement as to whether, in fact, the witch of Endor succeeded in raising the spirit of Shemuel or only pretended to do so. In any case, the message from Shemuel was clear. Israel would be defeated in battle against the Plishtim, Shaul and his sons would die, and they would join Shemuel in the netherworld. It was, of course, an incredibly difficult message for Shaul, but one for which the writing was proverbially on the wall. We now continue with the action. Shaul returns back to the Israelite camp, which is in the Valley of Israel. The battle with him and the Philistines will soon begin. But first we have chapter 29 and chapter 30, which shift our focus back to David. And this is in fact something that we have seen since chapter 26. 26, as you recall, was the last meeting between Shaul and David, which took place, during which Shaul acknowledged the fact that David would one day be king. They parted ways, they diverged. Chapter 27 focused our attention on David and his flight to the Philistines, to Achish, the king of Gat. Chapter 28 focused our attention on Shaul and the witch of Endor. Chapters 29 and 30 focus our attention once again on David and chapter 31, our focus returns for the final time to Shaul, the battle against the Plishtim. So there clearly is a back and forth. Shaul and David together, then David, then Shaul, then David, then Shaul, as if the text of Sefer Shemuel is inviting us to consider the comparisons and the contrasts between these two men, the one king of Israel, soon to be unseated, and the other future king of Israel, soon to be enthroned. It ends with the report of the Philistines 
gathering their forces at Afek, while the Israelites were encamped at the spring in Yisrael. The text paints a picture of a massive Philistine force massing for war. David and his men, of course, since David has sworn allegiance to Achish, the king of Gat, are expected by Achish to participate in the battle and to fight against their own people. But the other Philistine warlords are suspicious and concerned. They turn to Achish and they tell him, this man may not enter battle with us. He may in fact turn out to be a force against us. After all, they argue, what better way for David to be reconciled with Shaul than by fighting against us in battle, even as we expect him to be fighting on our side. Achish summons David and he says to him, I trust you, I depend upon you, I believe in you, but my Philistine allies will not allow you to participate and therefore you must return and leave, go back to Tziklag, where David, of course, had been stationed under Achish's ages back earlier in chapter 27. Go back to Tziklag because you will not be participating with us in battle. The next morning, David arises early and he returns to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines move their forces northwards towards the valley of Yisrael. Now, of course, the text never actually spells out what David's intentions truly were. Did he really intend to fight with Achish against his own people? Unlikely, in light of David's conduct up until now, in which he has rescued his people from Philistine oppression. More likely, Achish's allies were correct. David would have used the battle as an opportunity to suddenly turn on his patrons, the Philistines, and to fight against them, thus saving Shaul and the Israelites from certain defeat. In effect, what this chapter indicates is that the divine intervention has taken place but not in the favor of Shaul. Shaul's last chance to survive this battle would have been a surprise counterattack by David and his men against the Philistine forces. But that possibility has now been removed from the story. In effect, there is now nothing that remains between Shaul and his tragic fate, death on the battlefield against the Philistines. So David and his men leave and return southwards towards Philistine territory, Tutsiklag, but they discover in chapter 30 when they arrive on the third day that the Amalekites had raided Tziklag, and they had struck down whatever few defenders were there and burned it in fire. 
Everyone had been taken captive by the Amalekites, the women and the children, but none of them miraculously had been killed. This is not because the Amalekites were particularly humane, but it is because the Amalekites were heavily invested in the slave trade. So whomever they captured in battle, or more likely in a raid, was preserved in order to be sold into slavery. David and his men return to Tziklag and they see that it has been burned with fire, their wives and their children, sons and daughters taken captive. And the verse reports, verse number four of chapter 30, David and the people that were with him raised up their voices and they cried until they had no more strength to cry. David's own two wives were taken captive. Achinoam from Israel and Avigail, the former wife of Naval from Carmel. David was very, very pained by the events, especially since the people spoke about stoning him. So bitter were they concerning their sons and their daughters. David ultimately was responsible, as far as his men were concerned, for this outcome. He is the one who had initiated this crazy adventure to seek the protection of the Philistines. He is the one who had agreed to accompany Achish into battle, leaving Tziklag, the home base, undefended. And now that the Philistines had turned David back, he discovered with his men, to their horror, that Tziklag had been sacked. Who else to blame but David? And so the text reports, shockingly, David's men spoke about stoning him to death. What a difficult and desperate moment. An end to this adventure, but the most sad and difficult end. The text will now use four words that speak worlds about David and the difference between David and Shaul in this incredible moment of trial and difficulty. The text reports, even as the people are thinking about stoning him, verse number six, Vayitchazek, David Bashem Elokav. David strengthened himself through his reliance on God his Lord. This, in a nutshell, is what David is made out of an intense connection with God. So much so that, however desperate the moment is, David is able to find the strength to go on. He's never overwhelmed to the point of paralysis. He will never take the passive route because he puts his trust in God and from God he will derive his strength. And this, of course, speaks worlds about his character. This is the David that we have seen since the moment that we met him. 
Certainly the story of David against Goliath emphasizes this point, but really everything that David has done, whether as a warrior or as a fugitive, speaks to this fundamental truth. David finds his strength and his solace in his God. And immediately, the text reports, David swings into action. Summoning Eviatar the priest, he inquires of God whether to pursue the foe, whether he will succeed in catching up with them, and God answers in the affirmative. Ki haseg tasig v'hatzil tatzil, you will catch up and you will surely save. And he now embarks with his 600 men and begins the chase. But only 400 of them actually have the strength and the energy to continue the pursuit. Don't forget that the march back from the Philistine camp in Afik was a three-day march. Having returned, they were immediately confronted with the fact that Siklag had been burned and sacked and that their families, their loved ones, had been taken captive enough to overwhelm anyone. The 600 men who now leave with David in order to chase down the Amalekites quickly shrink to 400 men as 200 of them do not have the strength to continue. And so they are left behind at the Wadi of Besor. But how will David find these Amalekites, nomadic marauders who range over a vast territory? The text reports, verse number 11, they found an Egyptian in the field. This Egyptian had been left starving, having not eaten or drank for three days straight. And so they give him figs and they give him raisins, and I assume they give him water, in order to restore his spirits. David inquires who this man is, and he reports, I am an Egyptian servant boy, a slave to an Amalekite, and my master abandoned me because I became ill. And this, of course, speaks worlds to the Amalekite attitude. A servant who becomes ill is discarded in the desert. Let him die of thirst and hunger. Who cares? David says to him, Will you show me where these marauders are? The servant is wary. Swear to me by God that you will not turn me over to my master. Swear to me by God that you will not kill me and I will show you where they are. And David does swear, although the text doesn't report it. And sure enough, David and his men now discover the Amalekite encampment. There they were spread out upon the face of the earth, eating and drinking and dancing and celebrating over all of the spoils that they had seized from the Philistines and from the Israelites. David swings into action and attacks. And in short order, the Amalekites are overwhelmed and defeated. 
Only 400 of them succeed in escaping those that had swift camels to do so. And David succeeds in saving everything, all of the spoils, his two wives, all of the children. Truly a miracle. All of it was restored. And a huge amount of booty, of course, from the Amalekites' raids. Sheep and cattle, and all of that is now paraded as Zeshelal David. These are the spoils that David has won back. What an incredible change in the tone of the story. From his men contemplating and verbalizing their intention to stone him, now his men present the spoils as being David's triumph. David returns victorious. The 200 men that were not able to keep up and remained behind are now met. But David's fighters say, we're not sharing the spoils with them. They didn't participate in battle. David responds with authority. Lo ta'asu chen achai, verse number 23. Do not act this way, my brethren. God has given us this victory and we may not exclude the 200 men from the spoils of the victory. Those that go down to battle and those that remain behind to watch over the equipment will share equally in the spoils. And that becomes a statute in ancient Israel, the text reports, until this very day. Not only that David is an incredible warrior, not only that David never loses his faith in God and that faith gives him the strength to initiate and to overcome, but that David behaves with incredible fairness and nobility of spirit. How tempting it would have been to exclude those that stayed behind from sharing in the spoils. But David seeks unity among his constituents, and he will not allow any of them to be excluded. And that will become a statute in ancient Israel in any armed conflict that takes place. David returns to Tziklag, and he sends part of the spoils to the elders of Yehuda. And there is a list of towns which is indicated, all of them in the region of the Negev, stretching up in the direction of Hebron, which is, of course, the regional capital of his tribe. Beit El, Ramot Negev, Yatir, Aroer, Sifmot, Eshtemoa, Birachal, Areha Yirachme Eli, Dekeni, Chorma, Bor Ashan, Atach, and Hebron. All of the places where David and his men had been fugitives and had been sheltered by the tribe of Yehuda to all of those places, David's David now sends the spoils from this victory. So even as Shaul trembles 
at the prospect of defeat at the hand of the Philistines. This chapter highlights exactly what makes David so incredibly suited to be the next king. The nobility of spirit, the command, the warrior power, the strength, the faith in God and trust, even in the face of great challenges. All of these things are what great leaders are made of. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Pardes North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.